0: Welcome to The Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your
1: host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to The Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today we'll be discussing how yoga and Ayurveda can help us empower recovery from addiction. I'm delighted to be joined today by Durga Leela. Durga is a person in long term recovery, a certified Ayurveda practitioner, yoga teacher and IAYT certified, that's the International Association of Yoga Therapists certified yoga therapist from the UK, who is now based in the US. Durga has shared yoga as a recovery pathway in several recovery conferences over the last 20 years. She has also served as director of the Ayurveda programs at Shivananda Ashram in California since 2003, and is a professional member of the National Ayurvedic Medical Association, or NAMA. Durga is author of the book we are discussing today, Yoga of Recovery. Her website, is yogaofrecovery.com you can also follow her on social media on facebook and instagram at yoga of recovery for listeners there's also a prior episode of the yoga hour featuring durga leela in our archive called the search for freedom yoga recovery and self-realization welcome back to the yoga hour durga leela i'm really delighted that you could join me again on the podcast
0: Thank you so much for having me here, Laurel. um, It's a pleasure to be back and to meet you.
1: (laughs) Yes, indeed. Before we begin our dialogue about um, recovery and how yoga and and, um, Ayurveda can empower and enhance our recovery, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. Oh. So let's use this moment to just bring ourselves fully present wherever we are and whatever we're doing and just noticing our body in space and in particular feeling the parts of our body that are directly in contact with a surface that's supporting our weight. Where are our feet? If we're sitting in a chair, what parts of our body are touching the chair? And then turn our attention to the breath, wonderful tool that's always with us. And just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath, the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, feeling how that air has now been warmed as it passes through our lungs. And just staying with the breath, continuing to notice the natural flow while not trying to change it. Here's something to contemplate. This was from Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Suspending the driver's license of the senses takes courage. We become used to the familiar places they take us and imagine we will suffer if we do not follow their lead. But when the soul leads the journey, the senses follow along. New vistas of freedom and joy open before us. Suspending the driver's license of the senses takes courage. We become used to the familiar places the senses take us and imagine we will suffer if we do not follow their lead but when the soul leads the journey the senses follow along new vistas of freedom and joy open before us Once again, Durga Leela, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I have really enjoyed reading your book, Yoga of Recovery. And although we are talking today, we're focusing specifically on how yoga and Ayurveda can enhance recovery from addiction. It struck me that these same principles and practices of yoga and Ayurveda really apply to healing more generally. For example, one of the things we're going to be talking about in a bit is the spiritual roots of disease. And obviously, that idea extends to all disease, not just to addiction. Focusing on addiction, so what inspired you to write this book at this time?
0: I have been studying um, Ayurveda since 2001. And... I, I really studied because I had a, a spiritual experience when I first went to the ashram in California. And I had a very profound like instruction that this is what I should do, study Ayurveda, especially to bring it to people recovering from addictions. Mm. And so back in April 2001, I had written on a piece of paper after a meditation and a talk that I heard at the, the ashram that that's what I would do, that I would write a book on Ayurveda for addiction. And it was mainly because I really felt that people needed uh, an embodied, practical, daily relationship with their body to like embody the recovery. Yeah. Um, you know, something that we could do just generally without the experts being needed, without the big diagnosis, because it really is an ongoing journey we often say recovery is a process not an event like addiction is a process not an event so therefore this book has been 21 years in the making Wow. and i happen to be over in india in uh vijagram which is a ayurveda eco-sustainable healing village oh wow Uh, when COVID started in 2020. So I made the decision to stay here because um, Swami Swarupananda in the Bahamas had indicated that um, I would take a year off and write the book. But my calendar was always booked out for two years in advance. So I could never quite see where this year off was coming. It was really really good um, that I asked him the question. Because he knew I wanted to write a book, and he'd been asking when is the book coming over the twenty years, <laughs> and the book had never come. But I, I spent about eight months of the year out teaching yoga recovery and Ayurveda, so um, I recognized it. I thought, oh, here's my my retreats are starting to be cancelled. Here's the time that he mentioned, and then a few days later, the editor of a publishing house wrote to me for the third time and said, Will you please, please write us a book proposal? Wow.
1: Which she'd asked
0: she'd asked for before, but I'd never been able to complete the task. It was pretty big. But she yeah. said, just do just do one page mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll take it to the the team. Um so the one page I could do, that was it. So I sent it to her and then I signed a contract happily on Guru Purnama in 2020, and then delivered wow. the book in Guru Purnima 2021. Wow. So the Guru's guidance is there in the book. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it really is. a. It's really a, a lovely, lovely book, which we'll talk a lot more about. I wanted to start by asking you how the experience of your own recovery has been helped by yoga and Ayurveda. You you already mentioned that you think it's important to have this embodied, you know, practice. You say more about that um, because I know that uh, sometimes the the body uh, may get left out of addiction approaches from a Western medical, you know. Pr- interestingly, I mean, other than pharmaceutically, if it's a you know, it's a drug. Obviously, there are you know, other uh, drugs that are you know that can be used as part of coming off of um, a, of an addiction but um, and obviously those you know impact the mind and body but anyway just say more about about the embodied practices and how they helped you in your own recovery.
0: Yeah um, so one of the things for me was I practiced hatha yoga I lived in London I had a corporate job and um you know other people went to the gym or they ran you know jogging ran marathons and I just never did those things but one day I saw a yoga class and I went and this was um let's say the 90s so there wasn't the as much yoga as there was as there is now Uh, and so I went to the Shivananda Yoga Center in London and and I liked the class. I thought it was all quite weird, but I liked it and I continued. Yeah. The problem for me was I would often do the yoga class and then leave the yoga class and go to the bar and <laughs> drink, drink some beers and smoke some cigarettes. Um, so even although yoga was in my life, it wasn't really shifting the other thing out, but it was something that I consistently showed up for. Mm-hmm. So when I, I moved to America and I got sober, And so I immediately went back to a Hatha yoga practice. So there's the embodied part that most people think of when they hear about yoga. But I was so lucky that my teacher asked me to go to a talk in um, North Lake Tahoe, which is a small town in California. Uh, And someone was giving a talk on Ayurveda. And I went there. I heard her speak. And the only thing I could think of was how does she get to do what she's doing and so that was, it captivated me and I started to filter everything through the lens of Ayurveda from that very first talk. Okay. And what was happening with me was I had, um, I had established sobriety, really, in a, I'm going to say in a sense quite easily, in the sense that going from a suicidal, you know, thoughts into an, a 12-step meeting and and becoming sober and you know going to meetings getting a sponsor working the steps having a therapist but I still struggled and the way I struggled the best summary I have for it is I had the tiredness that sleep wouldn't take away and the hunger that food wouldn't remove mm, yeah and so and you know of course it it jams up against all those other issues like you know I think almost every female has some form of body dysmorphia being raised in the media manipulated images and the diet culture right so I was I was really hammering coffee and sugar and cigarettes and not feeling good um, and so even although I was doing the yoga I just I wasn't able to kind of launch into this new life that I just sort of wanted in Lake Tahoe. And so I really needed something. And um, that introduction to Ayurveda was so huge for me. I had considered becoming a nutritionist because I had a good idea. It had something to do with food. And what was interesting, you know, when I look back on it, my father was a type one diabetic and he died at an early age at 44 And most of his brothers had the same disease and died early too. So I didn't really know any of them. And then my mother had heart issues and she died of um, a heart attack that was mostly brought on by alcoholism. And so I feel like I was just living in a metabolic system that just didn't function. And it was interesting because my sobriety was strong, but my relational life, my emotional life, like my metabolic life, my energy, were all over the place. Right. And that was, that was really hard to manage. So a lot of it came down to when was I gonna go back to work? <laughs> and I thought, I don't, I don't know how I could at this energy level, you know, unable to sleep and just right. not feeling good. Um, so that's what really led me to really take up Ayurveda as just a lifeline in the sense of i do i'm i'm in my early 30s and i have to find a way to live that's beyond you know sitting in meetings or being on a yoga mat and so it's interesting because i have met a few other people that teach around the same subject yoga and recovery and i i named the course that i teach the ayurveda in it's called between the mat and the meeting because that's to me where I lacked the guidance you know I had one hour on a mat and one hour in a meeting and for me it was a recovery meeting but I also had a meeting with a psychotherapist like once a week and recovery meetings any time of the day that I wanted but for the other times the wake times of the day and the sleep times of the night I wasn't flourishing at all
1: yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and I appreciate it about the book that you talk about um that so much about, you know, recovery is uh written about the beginning, you know, stages of recovery. But yet you've already mentioned that it's a lifelong it's a lifelong process. Um and that Ayurveda and yoga give us so many tools to deal with the more ongoing nature of it. Once you get sort of past the you know the first initial several months. Then you've really got the rest of your life and it doesn't have as much guidance, you know, and particularly I think the medical system doesn't have as much guidance. I mean, other than the basic and, you know, basic. Um, recommendations of, of course, you need to eat your vegetables, you know, fruits and vegetables, and you need to get exercise, and you know, I mean, it just is so basic. And what I love about Ayurveda, as a Western-trained physician, is the incredible detail that there is that you can get involved with and understand ourselves as a microcosm of the larger world, which is one thing I really appreciate. And then just our uniqueness as individuals. I think that's the other real strength of of Ayurveda. But before we dive into that, I did want to touch on this, um, the the topic, which is the title of your first chapter, The Root of All Disease is Spiritual, which I thought was such a, you know, such a um, an important and interesting um, place to start. The Root of All Disease is Spiritual. Would you tell us more about what you mean by the idea of disease having a, a spiritual root?
0: Yeah, um, so let me, I'll, I'll talk from just how, how it happened for me that I happened to be in a 12-step program and the program of AA says the disease of alcoholism is a spiritual malady and must be remedied with like daily principles of spirituality, a daily set of spiritual tools. And so as I was doing that and encountering other people and their life choices, <laughs> I was, I was. Thinking, well, how is it only me that has the spiritual disease? What about everybody else? <laughs> which is, which is truly a nod to my codependency. You know, like you know, why is it me? Why me? Um, but that 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 kind of came up, especially as I tried to communicate around life matters and uh, uh, emotions and things uh, with other people. And you know, relationships are generally challenging and in early recovery i think we really begin to understand how challenging they are and um the going to the ashram part of my spiritual experience was i heard dr mark halpern who founded the california college of ayurveda and he started to talk about the ayurveda cause of disease and that's one thing that I had never really understood. Like, why was I like this? Mm-hmm. And then I was I was being helped in a program uh, and I was not interested in any sort of religion, but it did definitely mention higher power and God. And I was good with that. I could see that it didn't need to be a religious God. But at the same time, I was thinking, how could I ever explain this to my friends that I you know, God, I pray and God helps me not drink today. It just, that didn't make much sense to me. Uh, So when he explained this cause of disease that, you know, the primordial cause of disease is the forgetting our true nature is spirit. So if, if anything, I can say that I had a memory of that, that I somewhere deep down inside myself, I knew that I wasn't just this, physical, mental event that's happening now, that there was something more to life than that. So then that spiritual aspect I could take on quite easily without any religious part to it. And then the the piece underneath that Ayurveda describes, the misuse of the senses, the crimes against wisdom and the effects of time and environment, see, that made it come alive for me because it's like, okay, so like I'm a spirit traveling in this vehicle, but I really got to learn the instrument. I got to learn what make and model it is. You know, I got to learn the mileage that I'm running and the terrain. (laughs) And that, that for some reason just really connected me. It really resonated. Whereas I had dabbled in a lot of like self-help and self-care before, but uh, it was like on the diet off the diet which is awfully mm-hmm. like on the wagon off the wagon right and I'm not right. very good at that I'm not mm-hmm. very good at taking something up knowing that I'm gonna fail right which I feel a hundred percent at these kind of rigorous programs that the diet and exercise people give us <laughs> mean so it was
1: like don't don't even go there you're not alone you're (laughs) not alone there that's for sure that's for sure well the the reason i wanted to touch on this you know this idea about the root of all disease is spiritual is i think it's very powerful because Mm -hmm. the lens it gives us on disease is so much more inclusive It, it includes not just our our body not just our mind but also at a very essential level our spirit and and i loved the the way the actual the very first sentence of your book which is our understanding of our suffering defines the nature of our solution i want mm-hmm. to say that again our understanding of our suffering defines the nature of our solution and i think that is so beautiful and so powerful to recognize that if we have a, a larger lens, then our our solution can be larger and can include more of us, which I think is just it's it's really it's quite it's quite beautiful.
0: And I have to say that um we can thank Rolf Gates for, because Rolf Gates wrote a book called Meditations from the Mat. Right. Where he is paralleling some um recovery wisdom to the eightfold path and I saw that in there Mm. and that actually became the first sentence that I say when I was out teaching because there's so much confusion on even when I say yoga recovery then people think addiction so they immediately think alcohol and drugs and they immediately think of the the kind of sensational stories that we see in the media Um, you know heavy heroin drugs and crack and cocaine and deaths by overdose which is a significant problem but really there's an ocean of misery just at the the lived level which is the chronic lifestyle diseases that we're seeing and the epidemic of diabetes and things and a lot of them are rooted in this one addiction process and so we like if we understand ourselves to be material or mind mental beings mental emotional beings without that presence of like the great spiritual legacy and heritage that we have then we limit ourselves to you know even the pleasure that can be gained from living through the senses like the quote from ellen and that that transitory enjoyment but so soon becomes suffering Mm. and so when we get back to the soul level the soul level can I think do as you say zoom out and see this much bigger picture and it gives us ways to embrace ourselves and recognize ourselves as something much much bigger than the like the limiting adjuncts and problems that we're encountering in this particular day, month, year, or, you know, aspect of our life. Like for me, I, I seem to have like ongoing issues, not just in myself, but in my family members that always seemed to speak of suffering. And that was definitely longer termed and lasted longer than the joy parts. Mm -hmm. But that was also a perspective of mind, um, And that was another interesting thing to me, especially from the yoga and the mind understanding is that it really is a a perspective of the mind, the way we see things, see things. So, yeah, there's a lot to that. But it really it really helped me. And I'm going to say this again. It kind of lifts out of that idea of God as a religious idea to spirit as a dynamic. um, Right idea of wholeness i guess and you know finding your way back to wholeness
1: yes absolutely that's really that's really beautiful yoga philosophy teaches that all is one there is only one one supreme consciousness that is the source and substance of all that is and what i what i loved about the way that you approach that in the book is that obviously this means that that the divine, the supreme consciousness, whatever words you wanna use for it, is also within us. And you talk about that as our inner wisdom and that 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 is accessible. How does that, that idea of this inner wisdom, how does that um, enhance someone's ability to recover, do you think?
0: Um, in many ways, but what's what's here Uh, for me this evening is, and this, I think, makes it really important, especially when we see the political and the cultural situation that we're living in, is that the government can say this substance is okay. You know, you can use it, you can use it as a medicine, you can use it as recreational, like whatever they want to say, it's legal, it's illegal. And a lot of our drug addiction conversation seems to stem around that. But then we are using drugs on a daily basis that are perfectly legal, but cause quite a lot of harm, like caffeine and sugar, for instance. And so the thing is, and this is my belief, because I had it myself, and I talked to a lot of people, and I don't know if I can always phrase it, those things that really seem so delightful, so pleasant, so stimulating, so like they they give us that high that we're looking for. So why not just keep using them, you know, but then there's this payback coming, there's this deficit arriving along with the high and the highs get lower. And you know, the tail gets deeper and deeper. So we move into that suffering. And we know it, like, we'll keep doing it, because, you know, we're clutching at straws sort of thing. Right. But our inner wisdom is saying this isn't it. Stop doing this. This isn't a good idea. Let it go now. And yet we override that wisdom voice. And so it interests me because the way Ayurveda describes that part of disease is, you know, mis- misuse of the intellect, failure of the intellect. But then it's also known as crimes against wisdom. Mm-hmm. And we kind of know we're criminals. And sometimes we think, if you didn't see me doing it, I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) But, you know, that's not the law of karma. Like every thought, (laughs) word, action that we we (laughs) bring forth, we are going to have that corresponding reaction. So I I really like to kind of have that conversation with people just to recognize their their portion of that supreme intelligence that inner voice that is saying to them you know what this isn't okay it's not working for us can you find a way to stop and like in our separate ego struggling survival self and our you know what would I say our face that we show the world we don't want to admit defeat we don't I know I didn't want to tell anybody i had this problem because i knew what they were going to propose as the solution and that was outrageous like to never drink again it's like right. okay that's impossible so i wouldn't even start this conversation um but then eventually the pain of the suffering you know the pain of the change is less than the pain of the suffering that we're in because of that battle that we have with our own wisdom And so what I like about yoga, especially in its conversation about the gunas, is that we can ascertain a person's like psycho-spiritual nature using the gunas. And each of us has the three gunas interacting, interchanging constantly all the time. And the, the one that is the very nature of the mind is the sattva. And the sattva is that idea of this universal consciousness and us being a part of that universal intelligence Mm
1: -hmm. and so
0: we have our own tiny portion of it no matter how distorted or obscured it gets it is there and there's something very empowering about that to me it's not these experts that need to explain it all very you know rocket science scientific and you know brain science and things it's like deep down in my heart and soul i know this isn't working for me that's right. my crime against wisdom right. and so therefore i also just i love the solution which is the satsang mm. because that community. has been <clears throat> that has been the probably the biggest medicine of my life which is to you know get into a community of like-minded people that are trying to do a similar <laughs> you know, task or direction that I'm doing and, you know, be helped by other people, that aspect of community and the community, the satsanga meaning that, you know, the company of the wise, the company of the truth seekers. Right, right. That's, that's huge for me because truth is dynamic too. Like what's true for us now today, um, you know, that search for the ultimate truth, but with people who are, get like kind of will, willing to call you on it too when you right. move into your you know delusional delusional states which <laughs> i think it's just highly encouraged in our society you know yeah. we talk about i'll mention this the other state of mind is rajas and they say oh, rajas hang on, this, and... hang on
1: one second because i did <laughs> just want to go back to um just remind people this is the yoga hour i'm dr laurel trujillo host and producer of the show and today i'm here with durga leela That's D-U-R-G-A L-E-E-L-A, Durga Leela, who is the author of the book we're discussing today, Yoga of Recovery, Integrating Yoga and Ayurveda with Modern Recovery Tools for Addiction. Her website is yogaofrecovery.com. You can also follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Yoga of Recovery. We will have these links on our website, theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com where you can also sign up for our mailing list and i did want to just squeeze that in durga before we do dove into uh, rajas guna um, so these are the three gunas that <clears throat> both in in yoga and ayurveda look at these three gunas as being foundational principles to everything in creation everything in creation is made up of these three principles um, and clearly, these three principles really pervade the universe. So you've already mentioned sattva guna, this principle of luminosity, clarity, intelligence, um, our spark of the divine, as you mentioned, and then we're on to rajas uh, guna. So go ahead. I, I'm sorry to break in on you there.
0: <laughs> no, that's okay. It gives me a moment. Um, the, the rajas is, you know, it's, it's natural, it's energy, it's activity, but when it's too based in the separate self, you could say, then it becomes this um, self-centered, self-seeking action, which is, um, it, it's very wearing on your energy, you know, because as you said, the, the actual truth of our life is this universal oneness, but we're operating from this deep sense of like habitual forgetfulness of the oneness and thinking it's all about me right and so it causes so much emotional turmoil and turbulence and like the mind becomes very distorted so even although like we're all looking at the same thing we're seeing it very differently and that's something that uh, like I came across that when I was trying to give up cigarettes like how could this packet of 20 cigarettes just control my whole life, like every thought, you know, like what I could do, what I couldn't do. And this little inanimate object, you know, so it's not the cigarette, it's my mind. And it's the projection of my mind into this, like relationship that I formed with this behavior or substance that says, this is my salvation. This is what will take me to that, ever peaceful you know blissful state and ultimately I know it's not
1: so it's a terrible argument to be in and then Yeah, yeah, and we and we haven't uh, taken a moment to say this, so I should say. You know, we've been talking about you know alcohol, we're talking about drugs, we've been talking about um, cigarettes as addictive. We're talking about food, it also um, I encourage people to look at behavior also as addictive. I, I was just reading something about you know a guy was talking about going into the um, men's restroom and realizing that every man that was standing at the urinal was actually looking at his phone <laughs> while he was while he was using the urinal and that i think is like to me it captured that it's like we can't let go of that connection for a minute it is like this addictive behavior Mm -hmm. of like constantly Mm -hmm. checking social media constantly needing to be plugged in and not even realizing it so anyway i wanted to just take a moment to just frame these addictions in the widest possible way because you did mention behavior as well so there are addiction addictive behaviors as well as actual substances um and we're talking about rajaskuna so um so go ahead so ultimately
0: um And I do want to just say this to listeners. I so know what a lot of people are going through with this behavioral stuff. And it's throughout the whole family, you know, um, the parents, the the children, like that kind of feeling connected, but actually being really cut off from the people that are physically present with you. And a lot of parents really struggle with the technology and their children and how much effect it's having on them, like, Let's like living with strangers who want nothing to do with you, um, you know, and teenagers and young folks, we all go through that stage. But I think this has made it even harder. And I have a lot of people that just they need help with that. And hopefully the holistic healing paths. Sometimes we can't always bring it to the person that has the problem, you know, the identified patient, yes. because it is this one addiction <clears throat> process that's affecting all of us. Right. So it's the person that is struggling with the idea of someone else's behavior that also needs to have a look at the holistic path. And then like coming from the lens of wholeness with the distortions that is the rajas, you know, our distorted perceptions, then if we can understand it from that perspective, then we don't lose the other to the, you know, like persecuting them and punish them and, like some of the things that we've done to try and help other people come out of their addiction, which is really sometimes not that helpful. Right. And it's, it, it's an interesting path because one of the words that I'll use for Rajas is like on the go, on the get high drama. And it, it strikes me that we have a sense based life and we have a like ego life. And we have that life of almost relating to each other through the suffering so if we're not in that life then where are we and Mm -hmm. Ellen's quote says we reach new vistas but there's that part where we don't even know the terrain and it's badly lit and we don't know if anyone else is there and you know that's a big part of the recovery piece and it's something that I really use with the gunas is that If Sattva is the idea where the mind can go into deeper yoga practices, rajas is the place where we need the support Mm. of other people. Mm. So we often say rajas is represented by the we, and Mm. it's the company we keep. Mm. And obviously the company we keep changes according to our addiction levels. Like many of us who end up in, in deeper states of addictiveness, we end up hanging out with people that we don't even really care for, but it's not about them because the primary relationship that is being enacted is the one with the behavior or the substance. Right, And so there's a lot of like pivoting and, and new um, ideas that has to be taken on. So I'll, I'll just say this, the tamas part is where the mind goes like deeper into the darkness. It's inertia, lethargy, stuckness, we call it, you know, stuck in the rut. Some people would say hitting a bottom, but that would be nice if you hit a bottom. But a lot of people just live at bottom. Mm. You know, and, and there's a lot of secrets, there's lies, there's hiding, there's guilt, there's shame, because they start to cut people off. So they start to move into isolation and that's the difference. Like there's the, the eye of the isolation is probably the most dangerous thing about the addictions because it is some form of community and company that will tend to lift us up. And it's, it's just, it's a, it's a part of the medicine that Western medicine, because it's not evidence-based and it is evidence based, but not to their particular requirement or something, I would say, because, right. you know, Bill Moyers writes about in his book that um, support helps support groups, you know, for even for people sub- suffering with cancer. Their um, recovery rates are better. Right. But It's hard for science to understand why that is, because it's not that measurable, like um, biochemical idea. Um, So that's so interesting to me because, you know, it's it's something that is it can be the death of you is to be cut off from all the people.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I was going to mention that there is actually quite a bit of scientific evidence that, you know, that belonging to some kind of a group is incredibly therapeutic for our health. So people Mm -hmm. who belong to groups. Um, which don't necessarily have anything to do with, you know, so some people would say, oh, well, it's just that they're exercising. Well, you know, it's that if you belong to a knitting group, you know, which you're not getting a lot of exercise, you know, you, you, there's more of a, um, you know, people live longer. Who are, are uh, in connection in some way in community? If you if you're in a bowling league, if you any club, a book club, um, yeah. any way to be connected? There's actually quite a bit. But I think as a Western-trained physician, you know, with a 20-minute or 15-minute office visit, it's hard to fit everything in. And the and the focus does seem to be on medication. And it's and it was hard to remember to ask or encourage. Well, what groups are you a part of? And if you aren't part of a group, can you join a group? Um, you know, that kind of a thing, and that that is very uh, beneficial. And it's just, it's something that it's, it's even though there's a lot of evidence for it, I think it often falls through the cracks of the the Western medical system. So yeah. in your book, one of the things I appreciated was you shared David Frawley's uh, definition of addiction. And you do mention several of his books, I agree, he's really a, an amazing writer, um, has, you know, so many great uh, books about Ayurveda and yoga. <clears throat> but in his, this is a quote from him. Addictions are uh, a form of psychological disorder. They occur from too much tamas or inertia in the mind. This is often caused by excess rajas or mental disturbance, which is compensated for by providing an artificial calm so again i thought this was so powerful such a powerful look at addictive behavior as being occurring from too much inertia in the mind which is caused by excess rajas or mental disturbance which we then compensate for by providing in many different ways providing this artificial calm and so that could be drugs or alcohol or food or any of the things or or putting your focus on something else putting it on social media and this is the same it's the same uh approach you know that the we're looking for this artificial uh, calm so how have you found that definition from from David Frawley to be helpful in your teaching about addiction do people respond to that idea of this you know the, the gunas the thomas um you know the the rajas guna too much agitation then you know needing this artificial calm
0: yeah they they really really do and you know one of my um best experiences was teaching down in the bahamas and there was i was teaching this class on the gunas and addiction and we kind of wrapped it up and one man just sat there and his like his mouth was agape and you know (laughs) he hadn't moved and everybody else was leaving the class and i said everything okay with you and he said you have just described my whole life that's my life drawn up on that board Wow. Like I see I see it all so clearly. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing I, and I'm gonna try and say this in the most succinct way, is that very few of us just suddenly take a ticket and we arrive at Sattva, you know. So we might clear up some parts of our life and other parts are like deep in Tamas or out there in Rajas. And that's another aspect of um and especially I am guided very much by David Frawley and his Ayurveda teachings. And he points out the directional force of the gunas. So he says tamas is this downward heavy gravity pulling down type of energy where rajas is that outward energy and sattva is the um, internalizing and also upward movement of the energy. So when we talk about that, um, it, it just... It, it really helps us like there's the down and out of addiction and we say well actually it's the out and down because it's the rajas that leads to tamas but it is that um robert Swaboda, another beautiful ayurveda teacher in the west says um we can look at the ego under the gunas and say that the ego that is the rajasic ego is the externalizing sense of self which so many of us have like i you know i am my looks, I am my age, I am my body shape, I am my job, my house, my car. You know, right. so we associate ourselves with all these external things, and what what we have to say about that is it's highly unstable because Rajas is very unsteady energy, and so as we I, identify ourselves with the transient objects in our lives, then our sense of self is very unstable and when we're living that trying to patch it and repair it and hold the ship up then it gets exhausting and so we we kind of fall down into that tamas and tamas is that downward pull where you just think well this isn't working why should i bother you know i'll i'll just stop showing up so some of us stop showing up for relationships or we stop showing up for our jobs that was one Mm -hmm. of my habits (laughs) it's not very (laughs) helpful (laughs) no not very helpful (laughs) and so he says that's the objectifying um idea of the ego like and and, in one way to say that is um i'll 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 believe it when i see it Mm -hmm. so there's there's no attachment to spirituality or subtle energy or anything it's just you know getting through the the day and really going with the idea of like, just what's the form and the objects around us? Uh, and then where's the subtle aspect of sattva, that internalizing sense of self, which I think is really the whole idea of the evolutionary path that so many people, they are looking to be on it, and yet our culture continuously offers them more consumer goods and more, you know, <laughs> comparing with and competing And and so that leads us using all that energy up, trying to be who we think we should be or who you want us to be, and then we don't find our happiness. And if we do, it's so transient, we have to keep going to get more and more and more. And I do love um, Gabor Mati's addiction definition. He says, it's hard to get enough of something that almost works. You know,
1: Yeah, right, right, right. And so some of
0: these great minds have given us definitions of addiction. So how do the gunas help? People are sitting there thinking, oh, I do that with relationships. You know, I do that even with my work. It's the next course. It's the next promotion. You know, like all those things of just obtaining and getting and succeeding. But really, when they actually look at it, they're never fully... Like fulfilled with right. that right. and so there, there's some kind of gap and we do we do say I'm, I lived in London so we say mind the gap that there is some aspect <laughs> that like material stuff can't give us and when you yes. look at the addictions in our country it's interesting to me that the very high elite like the celebrities the people who have everything they have all the good looks all the riches all the success but they have a lot of addictive problems, but they get these beautiful high-end rehabs. And some of the people at the lower end of the income scale might get it through the, the court and criminal ju- justice system. You know, they might get thrown into a detox, um, probably just because the jails are full. Um, but, but everybody in the middle is not getting much at all, not much at all for something that is a pandemic before the covid pandemic showed up so it's kind of interesting that if we can widen that idea of how do you include this uh, an aspect of uh recovery into your life even although you don't want to have to be diagnosed as an addict and that's that's important so that's one of the things that also kind of makes my heart sing that I will sometimes give a talk and people will say, well, you know, I'll sit here, but I'm not addicted and there's no addictions in my life. And then by the end of the talk, they'll be coming up to join the retreat because it's, it's, it's just pinpointing. And when you think of Rajas and Tamas, that, you know, artificial calm, well, that leads us to needing the stimulation. So, in part of yoga recovery, we talk about being tired, seeking stimulation, being wired, seeking sedation, being in pain, seeking self-medication, and being stressed, seeking instant gratification. Wow. And so it's just like a roller coaster. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, imagine getting off of that roller coaster. Imagine being the master of your own mind-body system, and primarily your energy and emotions and your ability to relate and communicate. And kind of succeed with your inner um intentions rather than compete and compare at that external level which leaves us all so hollowed out and and cut off from each other
1: yes so we've talked um some about the gunas that are um that are Uh, an important part of both Ayurveda and yoga. And we only have a couple more minutes. And I wanted to give you a chance to say, is there I I know Ayurveda has a lot of daily self care routines that really help. Um, If there was one thing that you could encourage someone to do, that's an Ayurvedic practice um, to begin to begin their, you know, Ayurvedic journey, where would you start?
0: I would start with, and this is not just me in my opinion, but from the students that are with me and I hear them report back, if you could get some um, decent oil from the the grocery store, like a good organic kind of sesame oil or coconut oil um, and start to massage your skin, what we call self-massage, that that. I think the skin is going to be the new um, frontier for science when they begin to understand how much change, how much um, transformation can be affected from the, the idea of putting hands on skin, the whole right. sense of touch. And again, not something that our Western medical model is doing much of. No. And again, even in the sense of, like, I wouldn't per- personally have the budget Or the confidence to always go for a massage with someone. And we do have a lot of people in addiction that have um, trauma backgrounds. So they're not going to get undressed and lie on a table in a room with someone alone. So this is a great way that we can bring in that, um, the therapeutic touch. Mm -hmm. So we massage the oil onto our own skin. And we say do this daily and then people look horrified. I can't do that every day, but. If you could at least do it once, twice, three times a week, you know, when you're home of an evening or if you've got some time in the morning. And then also um, the if you can't do it, at least your hands and feet before you go to bed, just yeah. a little nighttime ritual. Right. Yeah, because sleep is also a great thing. And then from the yoga perspective, and I'm saying this because, again, in my group meetings, um, someone said it that. This generalized anxiety and yoga helps so much just by pranayama, Mm -hmm. just connecting with the breath, which is the most private and constantly available medicine which is the most powerful thing and i think that's why nobody wants you to know about it because they can't they can't sell it to you they can't make a fortune on it unless amazon can somehow get us you know pranayama i shouldn't say that because they will be on it'll be on the books tomorrow (laughs) Because they're moving into medicine, which I think is like, you know, a little sinister. But I'm sure they've got some good things. But it kind of shows you that it is a commodity market. Mm -hmm. And so here I'm saying, and my friends always laugh because I was going to stay with one and I wanted to make kigiri. So I bought the sesame oil and I said, I'm going to do massage and eat kigiri, which is our, um, I, I should say this, it's our baseline detox food, which is rice, mung beans and some spices and some ghee or oil and so the oil that i used for my kidjury was going to be the oil that i used on my skin and she was laughing because i didn't i didn't need to go to the cosmetic department because yeah. the big thing is that your skin is the largest feeding organ of the body mm-hmm. so what you put on your skin you're eating and so right. we really should be more careful of what we're putting on our skin because it's a lot of carcinogens and yeah. um you know endocrine and disruptors in the cosmetics so we could save ourselves some money and have a better life if we just do a little abhyanga (laughs)
1: self-massage Massage, -massage. so that's great yeah (laughs) and warm that
0: oil there's nothing like it
1: yeah it does feel so good (laughs) i i would go for that so in closing what words of inspiration or encouragement would you like to leave with our listeners Mm.
0: I I think something that was said to me, uh, a couple of sentences that I'll, I'll run together, that comparing is despairing. Mm. And that we are comparing our insides to other people's outsides. And so it, it's like apples to pears. We're, we're not as bad as we think we are. Right. And the main thing is we're all suffering in this together. So to me someone said uh, to me in the early days you don't have to continue to live like this Mm. you are not alone and there is help Mm. there is hope Mm. and just someone looking me in the eye and saying that it just felt like yeah that that is a possibility where I had a lot of hopelessness and helplessness in my life and it was because of better intentions and failed attempts and you know, feeling guilty about some of the situations and things that I've done under the influence, you know, um, and how can you come out from that? But, you know, the main thing, you are not alone and there is hope.
1: Right. That's really beautiful. Thank you for that. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show, and my guest today has been Durga Leela, That's D-U-R-G-A-L-E-E-L-A. Durga is a person in long-term recovery, a certified Ayurveda practitioner, yoga teacher, and yoga therapist. Her website is yogaofrecovery.com, which we will post on our website, theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Durga, for joining me today on the show. Thank you, Laurel.
0: It's It's been a pleasure to speak to you, and it went very quickly.
1: For listeners, we hope you'll join us for the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Currently, CSE offers daily online meditation in the morning at 6.30 a.m. Pacific, in the afternoon at 4 p.m., and on Monday evenings at 7.30 p.m. We also offer a Sunday satsang at 10 a.m. each week, and all those times are Pacific time. You can also register at the CSE web- website for the on-demand Samkhya philosophy course. If you were uh, struck or uh, curious uh, about more about uh, the gunas uh, and other you know, aspects, this is all going to be covered in the Samkhya philosophy course. Change your mind, change your life with Reverend Sundri Jensen. In yoga, understanding Samkhya is key to understanding the workings of the mind, how it impacts our experience, and how we can change it. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I will be uh, joined by guest writer and Buddhist teacher in the Soto Zen tradition, Susan Moon. We will be discussing how we can find joy even in the impermanence of our lives. The yoga Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are enjoying it consider sharing it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers, Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, and Christine Sote. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.